was a kid, one of my favorite games growing up was the game of Monopoly. Um, I had five brothers and sisters, and uh, since I was the oldest, I became the most proficient in how to, learning how to play this game. And I discovered very quickly that if you gained these properties down here on the end, you would control the board and control the world. And uh, um, invariably, when we would play with my dad, my dad seemed to think there was great value in being able to obtain the railroads and the utilities, and, and then he'd be so proud of himself when he would charge us $800 when we'd land it on, I'm like, ah, dad, just wait, it's coming. And then he'd come around the board to the two blue spots there, boardwalk and park place, and I'd have hotels on them, and I'd say, all right, now turn over four grand, and I'd bankrupt him, bankrupt him every single time. And there was something fun about having that money and having that influence and having that control uh, that I experienced as a kid playing a game like Monopoly. But the truth is, it wasn't just me as a kid, because there's something about this desire for money, something about this desire for wealth. I remember as a kid, the, the TV commercial, or the, TV, the, the comic uh, that was on called Richie Rich, and then a little bit later, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and then a little bit more recently, in the last 20 years, who wants to be a millionaire? Everybody wants to make money, and if you can't get on that show, maybe you'll just play Powerball and try to hit it big. But somehow, we have this allure to try to earn and try to obtain what? We talked about this last week. Just a little what? Bit more. Say it with me. Just a little bit more. But that's a myth, isn't it? The myth is I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. And last week we talked about the truth of not this myth that I just need a little bit more, which I'd also say is a lie, but the truth is that God has blessed me with more than I need. God has blessed me with more than I need. And this does not come natural to us. It doesn't come natural to us to be okay with what we have. The word is content. We come out of the womb not being content. We come out of the womb screaming and crying and wanting something and doing everything we can to get what we want in that moment, in that immediacy of that moment. And then that continues on for much of the rest of our lives. Last week we launched a series entitled Money Myths, and what we're doing for the next four, these four weeks of January is we're looking at myths or lies or false beliefs in our culture that sprinkle into our lives about money. And we want to confront those myths about money with truth about what does God say about those. Now maybe this morning, if this is your first time here, you're thinking, here goes the church again asking for my money. No, we're going to do that next week, so make sure you come back next week, you know. I'm serious, that's the myth next week. The church just wants my money, so make sure you come back and hear that myth, because we're going to talk about that one next week, okay? Um, but no, what we want is we want something for you. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And the reason we want something for you is we because, because we believe no matter what the challenges we're facing in life, that when we come into this setting, what we want to do is we want to look at what does God have to say about those challenges, because we believe that God gives us insight and direction to face all the challenges this life will bring at us and provide a way, provide a path that if we choose that way and if we choose that path that God's going to bring into our lives joy and peace and life and hope and contentment. And so this morning we want to dive into another one of these myths. Last week we looked in a chapter in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be referencing and looking at part of this verse, this chapter, every single week in this series. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, you can open it up on the, your phone. If you have the Version app or another Bible app on your phone, you can grab the Bible in your seat there, and um, 
Open that up to 1 Timothy 6. It's page 963 on the Bibles right there on the seat rack in front of you. Let me tell you a little bit about Timothy. Timothy was a young guy. He was a student. He was an apprentice, if you will, under Paul. And so Paul the Apostle had been commissioned by God to go in all the Roman, Roman world and start churches to introduce people to the gospel, find those that would choose to follow, gather them together, start a little church. And so Timothy went with him, watched this happen a few times, and Paul then said, okay, Timothy, your turn to run the show. And so he left him in a place called Ephesus. And as he was leading the church there, there were some things he didn't know how to do or couldn't quite figure out. And uh, they didn't have webinars in those days. They didn't have Zoom calls that could support him. And so he had to send him a letter back to Timothy in Ephesus, giving him instruction on these issues that he was facing. And so that's what we started last week looking at, and we're going to continue that this week. So if you're there in 1 Timothy 6, let's look at verse 17. Verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich. Command those who are rich. So that's the first thing that we're going to tackle is the people who are rich. Now there was a poll done by Gallup asking people, how many of you think that you are rich? And only 2% of the population thought that they were rich. So only 2% of this room think that they're rich. So these, these four in the front row here, like these four think they're rich, and you know, she's nodding right there. She's in good shape. So, but um, the rest of you don't think you're rich. The rest of you don't think you're rich. Now if you're under 30... Okay, if you're under 30, half of you think you're going to be rich sometime in your lifetime. You don't know how you're going to get there, but you think sometime in your lifetime, I'm going to be rich. The rest of you, about 30%, think I might somehow get there. And as we talked about last week, the way to get there, everybody agrees. The way to get there, all I have to do is double my income and then I'll be rich. It doesn't matter if you make 20000 50000 100000 200000 all I have to do is double my income and I'll be rich. So if only 2% of the room, 2% of the population think that they are rich, is this irrelevant to most of the room right now? Is it only relevant to a few of you, some of you who may get there down the road? Well, the problem is rich is relative. Rich is relative. And some people would define rich as having more than they need or more than they currently have. And I want to suggest to you that rich is having substantially more than you need substantially more than you need. So what do you mean by that, John? I want to put a website up on the screen, globalrichlist.com. So write that down, take a picture of that, put that in your phone, globalrichlist.com. I want you to go there this afternoon. I want you to put in your household income, your household income. And it's going to show you a few things. And I'm going to do that up here on the screen for you. So let's just say, for sake of argument, that your household would earn $80,000 a year. With it. Both spouses are working professional jobs, not unreasonable. So if you earn that much money, then you would be in the top 0.1% of richest people in the world by income. That means that you would, be more, you would have more wealth than 99.9% .9 of people in the world if you made $80,000. Now, let's maybe make that a little bit more realistic. So if you live in Lancaster County, the average income for a household in Lancaster County is $56,000. So if you make somewhere in the $50,000 range, then you have more money than 99.77% of the world. 99.77%. You have more wealth than that much of the world. You are in the top point. 2-3% of the world. So if you make $56,000 a year, um, in one hour you make $29.17 an hour. That's what it comes out to. If you worked in Ghana for the average labor, you would make $0.08 cents an hour. Okay? 
Now, if you, um, if you lived in Zimbabwe, to make $56,000, it would take you 54 years being an average employee in the country of Zimbabwe. By 2073, you would make $56,000. You wanted to buy a can of soda? It would take you about a minute and 14 seconds to earn enough money to buy yourself a can of soda. If you worked in Zimbabwe, it would take you an hour and seven minutes and 48 seconds to buy a can of soda. And if you lived in the country, the African country of Malawi, and you earn $56,000 a year, you could pay the salary of 344 doctors. 344 doctors. So let me ask you this question. How does it feel to be rich? The question is not, am I rich? The question is, since I'm rich. Since I'm rich. Have you ever heard this phrase, first world problems? First world problems. You've heard of third world problems, right? Don't have food, don't have shelter, don't have water, don't have fresh water, don't have education, right? Those are third world problems. You want to know some of our first world problems? First world problems is when the, the internet is slow and your Netflix TV show won't load. You know, that's first world problems, you know, right? First world problems is when you have to wait on the phone for someone on customer service and you put them on speakerphone and set it down and go and do five other things, right? Those are first world problems, right? Another first world problem is when you go to your favorite restaurant and there's something on the menu and they don't have it. Oh, I can't believe they don't have it. What were they thinking, you know? Those are first world problems. And so part of the beginning of this message is for us to talk about this issue. And as Paul makes this instruction, he says, command those who are rich not to fall prey of saying that is for someone else. It's not. It's not. It's for most, if not all, of us here today. Now, some of you may be in difficult financial situations, and um, you're struggling and so you're like, that doesn't really apply to me. Um, and my intent today is not to make you feel guilty or, or about those things, but the challenge is for all of us to recognize that we are in a culture, we are in a society that says you don't have enough, you need, you should want, this is what you needs to make you happy. And to look at the opposite of that about what God says. The truth is, nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's a sin to be rich. A lot of very wealthy people in the Bible. Abraham one of the wealthiest guys in his time. Job, unbelievably wealthy. David, first king of Israel. Solomon, wealthiest guy that ever lived. Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb for Jesus to be buried in. Hardly anybody except kings had tombs to be buried in in that day. Lydia, a woman that Paul met in his travels, um, who made lots of money because she was able to dye fabric and sell it for all kinds of beautiful clothing. God never says it's wrong to be rich. What God says is it's dangerous to be rich. It's dangerous to be rich. You say, how is it dangerous? Well, let's go back to the verse that we were at, 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world today, two things, not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in their wealth. Not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in their wealth. So there's two dangers I want us to talk about. The first danger is our pride, not to be arrogant. Because when you put your hope in your wealth, your pride goes up. Your pride escalates. It goes up. I want to take a quick glance at a story that we're going to dive a little bit more into next week. It's a story from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is telling this story. And as he's telling this story, he said this, there's, a, there's the ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. 
Great crop that year. He thought to himself, what should I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The guy had a great year. At the end of the year, there was great stock options. There was great um, dividends. There was great bonus. He had a great year. And he said, what am I going to do with all my extra? And he's coming up with a plan. But then God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This guy had taken what had happened to him. The ground had a great year. The sun was perfect. The rain was perfect, not un unlike us this year. Uh, the temperature was perfect. The, bugs, um, the amount of bugs were perfect. And he had a great crop. But notice what he said. He said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will store my surplus grain. He said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many, many years. You see, what happened to this guy is God had provided for him in an amazing way. But he took all the credit for it. He took all the credit for it. You know, we would look at this guy and say, great, great year, great surplus, great planning, great steward. And God says, you missed the boat. You missed the boat because you forgot this wasn't all about you. And so the first danger is when we have resources that our pride is going to go up. The second danger when we have resources is that our, our hope is going to go south, is going to migrate. Our hope is going to migrate. Paul says this, command them to not put their hope in their wealth. Not put their hope in their wealth because when our wealth increases, our hope can dangerously decrease. When our wealth increases, our hope can dangerously decrease. When I was a kid, uh, middle school starting to work, high school starting to earn some money, one of the things that my, my dad encouraged me to do is save, save the money and put it in a place that was going to earn a little bit of interest. So he kind of looked at some options and found a little savings and loan up the street You know that was actually a pretty decent amount of interest that they were generating in the early 80s. And so I socked a bunch of my money all into the savings and loan. And I had a couple thousand dollars put in the savings and loan. And for me and a family with eight kids and my parents, or six kids and my parents, eight of us all together in a double-wide mobile home, we didn't have a lot of extra. And so I felt like I had a lot until, anybody know what happened in the early 80s with savings and loan? They tanked. They tanked. The savings and loan crisis. There was more money that they had guaranteed than they had money to pay out. And some of the bigger ones were able to negotiate payments for them, but the smaller savings and loans... You lost everything. You lost everything. And it was gone. No way to get it back. No way to retrieve it. It was gone. My grandfather worked for a company in the city of Baltimore for 29 years. Saved, put money in retirement, pension. 29 years. Company goes belly up. And he lost everything. No 401ks in those days. He lost it all. When you put your hope in wealth, there's no guarantees. There are no guarantees. And what, uh, what Paul says, that the danger is when you put your hope in this, is that it will disappear. It will disappear. And the more you put your hope in your wealth, your hope will migrate. Your hope will go south. It will disappear. Solomon, one of the wisest guys who ever lived, one of the wealthiest guys who ever lived, said this, and I think it has a lot of weight to it. He says, give me neither poverty or riches, 
but give me only my what? Say it with me. Give me only my daily bread. He then goes on to say, otherwise I'll have too much and I'll disown you. I'll say, who is God? I've made this all myself. Or I'll become too poor and steal and dishonor the name of God. And so he says, God, all I'm asking for is just give me what I need each day. Because if I have more or less, there's dangerous places I'm going to go. I think Jesus said something like that too, didn't he? He said that in this prayer, very famous prayer of us. He says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Daily bread. Because the danger is that our hope will migrate and our hope will go south and we will put our hope in something else. He said this in Proverbs 18.11, the wealth of the rich is in their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. No one's going to take me down. It's guaranteed. FDIC, I'm sure I'm going to get it at some point in time in the future. Let me ask you this question. What would be worse? To lose all your income or to lose your relationship with God? Be penniless. Not have a penny to your name. Or lose your relationship with God? Let me ask you this question. If you're in the hospital, had a recent surgery, and the doctor comes in and says... There's nothing more we can do. You've only got a couple days. Which one would matter more to you? Loss of your income or loss of your relationship with God? You see, hope makes all the difference in the world. Hope makes all the difference in the world. And where does Paul say to put our hope? He says, put our hope in God. Put our hope in God. And he closes by saying this, put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So how do we tackle this issue? If we are rich and there's a danger of being rich because the danger is my pride's going to go up or my hope's going to go down. If there's a danger in that, what do I do? What do I do? Do I not try to make money? Do I not try to save? Do I not try to be, do I not do those things? No. God says to do those things. He says to work hard. He says to be like the ant, to plan, to save. He says to be a good steward with what you've been entrusted. He says do all of those things. So how do I manage this tension inside of me? Well, Paul's going to give us a couple things that I think will help us manage that tension so that our pride doesn't go up and our hope doesn't wander away. And the first thing that I think he invites us to do is to be grateful. To be grateful. Look at the end of that verse. He says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. One of the ways that our gratitude goes up, one of the ways that we manage our wealth and the resource that we have is by being people who are grateful. Being people who are grateful. He said, God who richly provides us with, say that word with me, everything. Everything. I sat with this a little bit this week and I started just thinking about what has God provided for me? What has he provided for me? Roof over my head. He's provided me a wonderful coal stove that keeps me toasty warm on cold winter nights. Um, As you heard last week, a nice TV. Um, You know, furniture. Um, He's provided a comfortable bed. He's provided food in in our cabinets. You know, he's provided clothes for me to wear, provided shoes for me to put on my feet, he's provided a car that I can drive, he's provided, and I could just go on and on and on and on. 
And I would encourage you, if you haven't done this in a while, just sit and make a list of everything you have. Everything. Because that's what God has given to you. You see, the way we navigate this wealth that we've been entrusted with is we have to recognize it does not come from me. It doesn't come from my hard work, my planning, my saving. All those are a part of it. But it starts and it ends with God giving me everything. And notice, He doesn't just give me what I need. He gives me stuff I get to enjoy. I get to enjoy. He gives me even that as well. Even that as well. So gratitude is recognizing that everything comes from God's hand. Everything is from Him. He adds to us. He gives us more than even we need. I saw this statement this week. Every blessing we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride. Every blessing, everything that God gives to us that we don't turn into praise. Hey, isn't this amazing? Isn't this cool? Isn't this exciting? Isn't this neat what God did? We'll turn into, look what I did. Look at how good of a shopper I was. Look at the great deal I found. Look at what I worked hard for. Look at what I obtained. See how quickly that can turn? Very quickly, very quickly, when God's not a part of the equation. So how do we do that? Well, I want to give you a couple suggestions how to do that. One of the things that I think most of us probably do is we probably pause at most meals to pray. And what do we generally thank God for at our meals? What do we thank Him for? Food, right? What do we thank Him for? We thank Him for our food. I want to challenge you to do something this week. I want to challenge you after you pray and thank God for your food and you start to eat, to say, to anybody that's sitting at the table with you, what's something you are thankful for today at this meal, at this time? What's something you're thankful for? Parents, if you're there with your kids, ask them what's something. I'm thankful for the milk. Okay, good. Let's go now. I'm thankful for the peas. No, you're not. You hate peas. You know, okay, <laughs> whatever, you know. But, but just what are, what's something you're thankful for? If it's just you and your spouse, if it's just you eating breakfast early in the morning, or maybe you're on a lunch break, just sit there and say, what's something I'm thankful for? 21 times this week, you would pause and you would say, God, I'm thankful for this. God, I'm thankful for this. God, I'm thankful for this. I mean, I think we do it once a year. I think if we're going to fight this battle and not let the wealth and the possessions that God has blessed us and trusts us consume our hearts, we've got to do battle with this thing, right? And one of the ways to do that is through gratitude. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, give thanks for everything, for this is what God wants you to do. This is what he wants you to do. So the first thing is to be grateful. The second thing is to be generous, is to be generous. And let's go back to the verse. He says, I want you to do good and to be rich in good deeds. The first thing I think that he wants us to be generous with is our actions. He wants us to be generous with our actions. He wants us to do good for other people. He wants us to hold the door for someone. He wants us to let someone go first in line. He wants us to do a job that's not ours to do. He wants us to do something we don't have to do for someone else. Uh, two days ago, my father-in-law, Glenn uh, Gardner, turned 80. And as part of his 80th birthday, my wife's there celebrating with him now. And um, she had all the family uh, write down some favorite memories about him and then write down things they appreciate about him. And she, gave, she came up with a creative way. She's always coming up with creative ways to give them to him. Um, and so uh, as I was thinking through things that I really appreciate about my father-in-law, one of the things I really appreciate is he is kind to everyone. 
He is kind to everyone. You're out with him, and he's interacting with the waitress. He's kind. He's interacting with the person at the cashier. He's kind. He's in a store buying some things. He's kind. He meets some total stranger on the sidewalk or someone. He's kind to them. He's gracious to them. And it's something that I think Paul encourages us to do. He says it this way in Galatians 6, verse 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everybody, especially those who are part of God's family. He says one of the ways that you strike at the heart of wealth consuming you is you're just someone who is kind and gracious and does good for others. The second thing I think that he encourages us to do is not only be good with our, generous with our actions, but also to be generous with our stuff. To be generous with our stuff. He says, I want you to be generous. I want you to be generous. And I want you to be willing to share. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you are rich, you should take a vow of poverty and sell everything and get rid of it. There's one conversation Jesus had with one guy, but it's specifically at him because of his heart. But he never tells us to do that. He doesn't. But he says that we are to be generous. That we are to be generous. And I love that last phrase, willing to share. I remember a few years ago, I asked a friend of mine if I could borrow something, and he made this statement to me. He said, yeah, you can borrow this, and by the way, you can borrow anything. Anything I have is my, is anything that I have, you're willing to, I can share that with you. Just let me know what you need. And that statement really struck me. I was like, anything? I was like, yeah, anything. It, it doesn't belong to me. It's all God's. Anything that I have, you can, you can use. And um, I thought, wow, anything. Well, what if someone takes it and they never return it. Well, God will get me another one somehow if I need it, you know. And, and what if I loan it out and it doesn't come back in the right condition? Well, I'll figure it out or God will help me take care of that, you know. He just had this open hands kind of way of living. This open hands kind of way of living. He said, God, everything I have is from you and I'm prepared to share this when and how and wherever you want me to do that. Um, you know, in our culture today, what we do is we buy everything we need because we don't want to ask anybody to borrow anything because we don't want them to do what? Ask us to borrow our stuff, right? That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Um, but are you generous and willing to share? This is, a, this is kind of a gut check question. For me, it is anyways. You know, um, it's, not, it's one thing to think it. It's another thing to say it. Have you ever said that to anybody? Not in your family, not related to you, not you can hold it over their heads for the rest of their lives. You know, we do that with family, we don't do that with everybody else, you know. Hey, whatever I have, whatever you need, it's here. It's here. And that's what Paul says. You see, the painful truth is that the more our income goes up, the less generous we become. You can look on, go online and study the statistics on this. You know, people at a certain income level, their generosity is really high. But as that income level goes up, guess what happens to their generosity? goes down it goes down and so paul says the way that you tackle this is to be generous so in conclusion he doesn't say it's wrong to be rich but if the driving force in your life is to obtain and get and own and have you're going to find yourself in a very difficult place and we're going to look more at that next week instead he says be attentive to these two dangers your pride going up and your hope going south and the way you tackle that is by gratitude and generosity. Gratitude and generosity. I have another statement for you this week. 
as we tackle this issue of it's a sin to, is it a sin to be rich in this, this statement, I am rich, I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides for me. Okay, let's read this together. Let's say it together. Here we go. I am rich, I will not trust in him, my riches, but in him who richly provides for me. Sorry, I messed that up. Now we've got to do it again. So let's do it one more time. All right? I am rich, but I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides for me. Okay? Write that down. Take a picture of it. Have that with you this week. Remind yourself of that truth. Because the lie is that there's something wrong with wealth, but remember, we're not poor. We are very wealthy. And um, it'll, ch- it'll chase us. It'll do things to us. But God invites us into a different way of living and relating to Him and other people through the things that He's blessed us with. Would you join me in prayer as we close? God, You have given us more than we need. That's a powerful reminder. Um, And the truth is we are rich. We have been richly blessed by you. And God, regardless of our situation in life, um, you invite us to be grateful. You invite us to be generous. And so, Lord, as we this week think about our stuff, think about where it came from, Think about how you provided it for us. Um, I just pray that you would allow us to have hearts full of gratitude for your hand of blessing in our lives. And that those out of those hearts of gratitude would be actions of generosity towards other people with the things that you've given to us. Um, because the truth is, God, you have given us more than we could ever give back to you. You gave us your one and only son. We sing about and we celebrate. Um, You gave up what's best, what you treasured most for us. And when we receive that, we receive that free gift and we have this opportunity to give out of hearts that are full, hearts that are overflowing. We say, God has shown up in my life and he's offered me life and hope and peace through Jesus and he is more than I need. And my hope is not in me. My hope is not in my stuff.